All right, welcome everybody to the PFF College Football Podcast. I'm Seth Galina, joined as always early in the week by Anthony Tresh. We are going to um, react to the um, college football playoff rankings, the two semifinals, and talk about, you know, recap the conference championship games. And then as we're recording this, it's very possible that the New York Six Day Bowls uh, come out as we're recording. So we might give you a live reaction to the New Year's Six Bowls um, while we're at it. But let us start. Uh, Anthony, how was your your championship Saturday? Yeah, it was pretty good. I had some tacos, watched some good football. The games, I was bummed out by Notre Dame, Clemson, of course. But then yeah. Alabama, Florida revived me a little bit there. So it was a fun night. And then, of course, our team, Cincinnati, our Bearcats mm. here in the home hometown of PFF HQ, pulling out the uh, game-winning field goal there at the end. So it was a good night. How was yours? Yeah, I think it ended up being being okay. Like you said, it got better as the day progressed um, because, and we'll get into it because Ohio State Northwestern was a dud, Clemson Notre Dame was a dud. We didn't get Coastal Carolina, but at least the two games uh, to end the night were good. And honestly, the the Mountain West Championship game was pretty good too, coming down to the wire there. Uh, so let's get right into it. We know the semifinal matchups. We're going Alabama number one against number four. Um, Notre Dame, that's going to be in Dallas, I believe. And then Clemson will take on Ohio State. Uh, Clemson 2, Ohio State 3, that's going to be in New Orleans in the, in the Superdome. So let's start with number one, Alabama, and their game against Florida. I thought the whole week I thought Florida was going to cover 17 because I thought this offense, like people were, I thought people were underestimating how good Florida's offense was. And that's exactly what happened. But the juggernaut kept rolling with Alabama scoring in the 50s uh, and, and, and Florida, um, where they finished with 42, 45, something like that. Yeah, they had the onside kick at the end. So it was a seven point game or six point game. So the, do I guess my concern with them is, is the defense. Where is the defense for Alabama? Is it the defense that we that we saw at the beginning of the year was eh, not so great? But most of that was just playing against one really great offense in Ole Miss. Or is it the defense we saw in the second half of the season where maybe they actually didn't really play any great great offenses in that second half of the season? And then they're exposed again by Notre Dame, uh, by, by Florida. So maybe this defense is not actually as good as we thought it would be. Maybe defenses in the SEC just aren't good anymore. Or maybe offenses are just that good. Um, so, yeah, where do you see the, the Alabama defense uh, and then the team as a whole? Yeah, I'm not concerned about it at all. I, I still think they're the best defense in college football. And I just think, like, we need a hammer home. Like, Ole Miss, you know, it, people think Ole Miss, they're not good. But that offense is, I would say, one of the five best in all college football. Florida's definitely the second best passing attack in college football. So, I mean, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Malachi Moore was kind of disappointed in him. He, he looked like, I mean, the, even the score looked like the Ole Miss game. Malachi Moore looked like how he was in the Ole Miss game. I mean, he struggled all night long he gave up you know 98 yards to Gadarius Tony um just was not a good game from the true freshman of course uh, Patrick Sertain too made a couple of plays on the ball but of course he also gave up that 50 yard touchdown to Trayvon Grimes it was a little ugly I'm not gonna lie but I'm not concerned about this defense because this is the you know the closest passing offense that's gonna get to you know Alabama's so you know and we're looking at what they have coming up too against Notre Dame you know I I think they're gonna be just fine the, the interesting thing for me is like, so yeah, I, I do think these are the two best 
passing offenses that they've played the whole year and they didn't look good in either of them, Ole Miss and Florida. But like you said, these are not only just the two best offenses that that Alabama will have played, they are probably the two best two of the five best offenses um in the country. And then Alabama being the top one, Alabama obviously can't play Alabama. So like kind of expected. I think it's interesting to look at the two different styles of Ole Miss and, and Florida. You have more of like the especially in that in, in the Alabama game, you have a very frantic offense. Uh, you know that 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 Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy put out in the field. Um, the tempo is insane. They're they're running all sorts of weird stuff. You know, pop passes to the tight end and throwbacks and all that stuff and getting people open down the field. Compared to Florida, which is more of a rigid structural thing, um, and they're still able to throw the ball and move the ball against Alabama. But like you said, Notre Dame coming into this one that did not look great. Uh, on offense uh, against Clemson. So let's let's flip over though. Let's stay in in, in the SEC and then flip over to to Alabama's offense. Florida's defense has been pretty good this year. We saw them look good against some some interesting offenses, uh, and I don't think they played particularly bad uh, yesterday against uh, against Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Uh, but do we see any chance that they slow down? Alabama and and the and the trio there. No, I mean like I mean I think we saw the closest any team's going to get to Alabama in the postseason yesterday or a couple of days ago against Florida. Um, I just cannot see any offense going toe to toe with Mac Jones. I mean, so last year, I think the entire world was in agreement that the LSU, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Clyde edwards alaire I mean, that trio, that offense with Justin Jefferson in there, too. I mean, it was just one of the best offenses we've ever seen. It was the best offense we've ever seen. Joe Burrow, best quarterback we've ever seen. But, I mean, when you dive into the data, this Alabama offense is just – it's looking like it's a smidge better, just a smidge better. I mean, Mac Jones, PFF grade right now, on pace to beat Joe Burrow's record set last year. Devonta Smith grading out to be one of the, high, the, the highest graded wide receiver we've ever seen in the PFF college era. Their uh, successful pass rate is the best of not only the 2020 season, but since we've began collecting data back in 2014, and the previous record holder of that, who they're edging out right now at this very moment, was the 2019 LSU Tigers. I just cannot see, you know, I, I, I mean, we've talked at length about, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, Justin Fields. You know, we love these guys, but I mean, what they have going down right now, you know, at Alabama is it's very historic. I don't think, you know, we we are going to see another type of, I know we said this last year, but it's in that historic type of range as far as just the overall talent they have at their disposal. I think the biggest difference between those two teams that you're talking about is probably on the offensive line. Alabama's offensive line is really good. Oh yeah. They are so good. They give, you know, time in the pocket so you can, you can make all these, um, these, deep throws. I mean, you saw another one to to um, Devonta Smith, I think is the... What's it, Devonta Smith? I, I was going to say it's the third, it was the third touchdown. I don't even remember. They scored so many touchdowns. I don't even remember which touchdown it was. But double post from one side, and then you have the backside crossing route that comes all the way across the field deep, and it's wide open against cover four. And it's like, well, you need time to do that. And, and Alabama's offensive line affords Mac Jones a lot of time. And then you saw the accuracy um, come into play. 
you know, one, uh, you know, basically like one super inaccurate ball and they get lucky because it turns into an interception, but they get the ball back on the fumble. So like, yeah, everything kind of, and, and, and I felt like everything just kind of went right for Alabama or maybe everything went wrong for Florida in that sense. Obviously the fumble on the interception was no good. Bad, bad. I mean, this is their own fault, but bad clock management at the end of the first half. Absolutely atrocious. Um, uh, by 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 Dan Mullen to not uh, bleed off another 20, 25 seconds, and then Alabama comes down the field and scores. So everything that could go, could could have went wrong for Florida went wrong for Florida, and the fact that they were still in the game, I think both it, it was a good sign for Florida. But unfortunately, that their their season's pretty much over. Um, well, yeah, I well, agree. I think this is one of the best offenses we've ever seen. Uh, even without Jalen Waddle for the second half of the season, it doesn't even matter. That's how good they are. That's how accurate and smart Mac Jones has been with the ball. Um, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, like, the, the only way that a team's going to come close is, is if they do what Florida did, and Florida threw the ball downfield. I mean, yep. guess who had, you know, twice, almost twice as many deep pass attempts yesterday in the conference championship slate than anyone else? Kyle Trask. He had the most deep passing yards. You know, Florida threw the ball on almost three-fourths of their plays. I think it was right around just under 70%. That's what you have to do. Notre Dame is not going to do that. They 100% are not going to do that. Tommy Reese is not going to let that happen. They're going to try and establish the run because that's the type of team they are. But, you know, you go back and, you know, when we saw Notre Dame beat Clemson that very first game, it was because Ian Book threw the ball downfield. He was not afraid to pull the trigger when he was, you know, in earlier weeks in the year. He had a 14.0 average depth of target for the game. That's the highest we've seen from him this year by over three yards. So, I mean, they really need to get kind of get back to that. I'm curious to see, you know, what their game plan is because they're going to have to be very, very aggressive. But then the question is, who do you have that's like Kyle Pitts and um, Kadarius Toney down the field? So you saw Kadarius <laughs> Toney, uh, you know, get separation on his like slot fade or whatever it was early in the game. And then with Kyle Pitts, it's, it's not even about separation. It's about going up and get the ball. Uh, certainly, I don't think that Notre Dame has the separators at receiver wow. obviously tight ends they have contested catch ability but certainly not not at the level of kyle pitts you know with tommy tremble or, or, or the the other tight end there uh or even like you know that they're big receivers you know that's not they're not even close to kyle pitts so that's one of the problems like you talk about throwing the ball down the field and i agree with you they're gonna have to create some explosive plays somewhere uh but you know without the receivers um that that florida has that's gonna be really tough like this is just not it's not an offense that i think looks good against an alabama defense even if it's not you know you said it's still probably one of the best defenses in the country i think it still is but even if it isn't i don't think this florida this notre dame offense stylistically matches up very well against um against the uh, you know against alabama you know, maybe you can play out the linebackers. Maybe you can get some running game going. You know, the linebackers aren't aren't amazing. Harrison Moses aren't amazing. But I think right. if you just live in the running game, that's just not that's not going to be enough. So yeah, let, let's think- switch over and let's talk about Notre Dame in their game against Clemson. You know, disaster, disaster, absolute disaster. We saw the Ian Book. You know, it's funny because I was like, you know, if 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 if. Uh, you know, Ian Book didn't play well. He had played well the first, the last five weeks. Um, you know, going into the game. Thing is, if if you had, you need to get that that Ian Book, that last five weeks Ian Book against Alabama to give you any type of 
any type of chance. But the thing is, if you had that Ian Book uh, on Saturday against Clemson, then they would be the number two seed, and they wouldn't be playing against uh, against um, against Alabama. I saw an Ian Book that missed some guys, man, and even against the blitz. So you know, one of the things we were gonna look for was how much does Venables blitz? Did he, he got burned a little bit against the blitz in South Bend? He blitzed a hell of a lot less, something like fifteen percent less, because um, he was he was blitzing like crazy against in, in South Bend. And you know what's funny? I thought that Book had his opportunities against the blitz, and he didn't take them like he did against them in South Bend. And one of the craziest stats that I saw was, I think there was sixteen blitzes. Ian Book's average time to throw was f- over five seconds. Yeah. So, like, there were opportunities there because you, if you're going to blitz, you cannot hold up on the back end for that long. And Book just did not take those opportunities. And if we see, I'm like, you know, we're going to say it, we're going to say it up until January 1st, but if you get that type of Ian Book against Bama, it's over. Yeah, I mean, that was exactly what I was going to say. You know, it was just kind of a... He held on to the ball way too long. He was sacked seven times. You know, and we can we go in and we of course charge pressures to offensive linemen, but we also do that to quarterbacks. And of those seven sacks, four of them were on Ian Book because he held on to the ball way too damn long. I mean, you can't do that against Alabama. Um, that's what really killed him, and that's really kind of been you know going back to last year. That was one of the. It was just constantly. It was drove me insane to watch him do that because he, he saw him do it all the time last year. And he got better a little bit this season, but it was just kind of, it kind of looked like a, an old Ian Book type of game. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was it. That was just Ian Book of old. And then um, them being able to sit off and, you know, not rush as many guys as they did in South Bend, but still get a little bit of pressure, but still like kind of force um, some bad play from 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 Ian Book is kind of what what helped what helped them win the game because I don't think the offense was amazing. Um, you know, you know, we'll flip over here to to Clemson's offense as we talk about the matchup between the rematch between Clemson and Ohio State. Obviously, we had them in the semifinal last year, but you know, when I look at Trevor Lawrence in this game, I thought it was just okay. I thought there weren't a lot of big plays down the field besides the Omari Rogers. There's two. There was really two. He had the Amari Rogers catch, which, you know, it's funny because I, I look at Kyle Hamilton on that play. He's They're playing cover one. They're playing man coverage. And Kyle Hamilton is the middle of field safety. And, you know, in, a, in an ideal world, in a perfect world, how you teach your middle of field safety is just stay in the middle of the field, get depth, get depth, get depth, and then break on the football. And that's not what he did. You know, he, he Trevor Lawrence looked to Trevor's right. Kyle Hamilton stopped getting depth. He kind of opened to the right, and then Trevor Lawrence is able to kind of come back to the middle of the field. You know, it's a post route against cover one. You're not supposed to be able to hit post routes against cover one because that's where the safety is supposed to be. Unfortunately, Kyle Hamilton was not there. And, you know, whether he's taught to do that, you know, taught to read his eyes or whatever it is, you throw a post route against cover one. Beautiful throw um, to hit it, um, Amari Rogers in stride, but that should never be, that, that type of route should never be there against cover one. And then you have the play where where Notre Dame is running their funky cover two coverage, and he's able to kind of move around in the pocket and then find the middle of the field when the Tampa two pole runner um, has to vacate with the deeper route. 
they find that kind of dagger route and they get it for a touchdown. Besides those two plays, and like I said, one of them one of them was a really good good throw and, and good play by by Trevor Lawrence um, to find the dagger route there against Tampa two. The other one was just a wide open receiver. And I'm not sure if there was so much greatness from Trevor Lawrence, but with that said, I thought that Notre Dame did a pretty good job um, in coverage and Lawrence put the ball where he needed to be. It was underneath a lot, but he still put the ball where it needed to be um, accurately. Um, and that was enough. And when we talk about when we talk about Justin Fields, we're going to talk about the complete opposite. So, anyways, yeah, let's talk about the Clemson offense. Uh, what were your thoughts about them against Notre Dame? Yeah, I was happy to see them actually give Trevor Lawrence some design carries, some design runs in there, and then they gave him more design runs than they ever have in a single game this year. They started I, like we kind of earlier on in the year. I was missing that piece just because you know towards the tail end of last year we got that a lot, and that's I mean yeah, really well, thinking back to last year's semifinal against Ohio State. That 67-yard touchdown run that Trevor Lawrence had at the end of the first half, that one, I think that was, I mean, the, outside of the interception, of course, at the end and that controversial fumble, um, I'm not sure if anyone recalls this. I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this right now. But that 67-yard <laughs> touchdown run that he had last year saved him the game at the end of the first half, put the game within one score to go into the half. And, you know, they were kind of utilizing his legs. We saw that yesterday. You know, a couple of big runs. He had three explosive runs of 10 or more yards in that 34-yard game in there, too. I mean, it's just, um, you know, I, I think I want to see a little bit more of that. And that really helped him last year. So I was kind of excited. Maybe it's just me being selfish because I, I think he is the most mobile. I mean, like his mobility, if you're building a perfect quarterback, I would probably take his. If we're taking, you know, John Reese Plumley out of the equation, you know, we were, we already been there, done that. And we're not talking about John Reese Plumley anymore. <laughs> but anyway, I, I was happy to see him actually get, you know, some work in the design run game. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free, free PFF Edge annual subscription. So that's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy football and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every week. And sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, investments. Um, yeah, well, this is the thing with Clemson is like they feel like they could they don't need to use Trevor Lawrence in the in in the design QB run game until they until um, the games are important. So we saw it last night. We're going to see it against Ohio State again, like you mentioned. And then if they make it to the to the um, 
to the final game. We'll see it some more there. Um, let's go to Ohio State. What a rough one for Justin Fields, his worst game ever, really, uh, at least at, at Ohio State. It was bad on both ends. You saw him be inaccurate. Now, that might have to do with, you know, the thumb injury. You know, having a sprained thumb is going to do that to you. But you also saw him really slow. I mean, we talk about this a lot. And anyone who, who tries to evaluate Justin Fields is going to talk about, um, you know, being a little late on his reads sometimes. You saw him, this game, not come off of reads, I thought, or stick on to reads too long. Um and and it leads so you get that plus bad accuracy and you, you have one of his worst games ever, um, and they got lucky. Well, I wouldn't say they got lucky, but they you know they're they're bigger and, and stronger than than Northwestern was it, on in the ground in the front in the trenches, and that's really what 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 was the big difference. But if you get this type of uh, Justin Fields against Clemson, and you know Northwestern. They're, they're a fun team on defense because they know who they are. They're not going to play a lot of man coverage, but they're going to give you some coverage rotations that are a little interesting, just like Indiana did to them early in the season. Indiana did to Ohio State early in the season. So you saw some of that, and that really then and that messed up Justin Fields quite a bit, all these rotations. Now, guess who you're playing against? You're playing against Brent Venables, who, like... There is some funky stuff that he does even more because, you know, with um, with Indiana and, and Northwestern, it's coming from a static look pre-snap into a into a rotation. With Venables, it's a bounce around. We're moving around. We're not showing you anything. And then we're still coming from an angle that you don't even think about. Uh, so that's like, an you know, that's a multiplier, you know, for... Uh, their the defense um, when it comes to pressuring the quarterback, that's tough, man. That is going to be tough. Um, and if he plays like he did against Northwestern, there's no chance that uh, Ohio State wins this game. Yeah, and I mean, too, not having Chris Olave out there. I mean, it was quite clear, like not having him on the field, the attention going towards Garrett Wilson. There's a miscommunication too, online interception. You know, it's I think. You know, the Big Ten, of course, they, they bent the rules. So Chris Olave is going to be able to play in the, in the CFE semifinal. But, you know, it's good that they did that because I thought that he, not having him out there kind of hurt things. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, that's exactly what I was going to bring up was the rotations. And, you know, we were talking about how, you know, when Justin Fields kind of has these – he hasn't collapsed a lot. I mean, Indiana – so that this was an interesting stat I found you know, earlier this morning um, in our, you know, database ultimate – you know, so going back to the field, entire Fields era at Ohio State, there was only one time that he did not produce positive EPA for a pass play in a single game, and that was against Indiana. And he barely did not. It was just minus .03. This time around, Ohio State produced minus .55 EPA for pass. Well, well worse than any other offense. It was the worst passing offense they've had in over five years. But at the same time, the, the run game, had the highest success rate we've seen from any team in any game this season by Trey Sermon, which I'm extremely glad because I've, I've always said I think he is one of the best backs in college football. So it's great to see him actually get some carries and show off his town a little bit. But anyway, back to what Justin Fields was saying, you know, Brent Venables, I mean, he's one of the best, if not the best defensive mind in college football. So, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how he's going to be able to handle some of that stuff. And, you know, we, like we said, 
Northwestern doesn't blitz a lot, but they had those rotations in there and they got him a few times early on. I, that was as, as soon as, you know, early on in the game kind of progressed. That's what I noticed. And that kind of, you know, had him, had him have some, uh, you know, confused type of moments. I don't know if that's a good word to describe it. That's the first thing. I no, that, that was it. And, and I thought that, but the, the, the crazy thing to me was in that game was it's not like they got a lot of pressure. So like there were there were right. opportunities for him to say, okay, you know what? You confused me on the front side. I can get to the back side. And that didn't even happen. Or he was like really late getting there. And then everything's kind of screwed up, right? Once you're late, you allow defenders to to find uh, receivers who were previously open and cover them. So I think that was a problem. It wasn't bad. I mean, like there's nothing to say about it. It was one of the worst um, games that he's ever played. And um, it's definitely gonna. It, it might. It might change my thoughts about where to rank him. In uh, I know it's just one game, but um, you know, against the only two good defenses that he's seen this year, uh, has not played very well at all. Even though n- normally he is extremely accurate, accurate, especially down the field. Um, were you, okay. were you getting ready to say that you might want to take Zach Wilson over was, Justin yeah, Fields? That's what I was going to say. It's it's not an unpopular opinion. I think um, I think Renner's getting ready to progress. I saw Dane Brugler. He he's he's thinking Zach Wilson over Justin Fields. But I do want to bring up Cameron Mitchell, Northwestern cornerback, came in when Newsom, uh, Greg Newsom, their star cornerback, exited the game. He played incredible. I mean, this was the first time he actually saw any substantial action in, in a collegiate level game. And let alone he, at outside corner, he does not typically play outside corner when he comes in. So I, I thought he played an excellent game. I just had to throw that out there. I thought he played very well for Northwestern. Well, and, and I think that so even though Northwestern plays zone mostly, I thought the few times that they did play man and the few times that when, you know, you end up in man coverage, even though it's zone because you eventually have to cover people, especially down the field. I thought they did a really good job. Uh, and maybe that's that is a product of, like you said, you know, having your one of your top receivers out for Ohio State, and that won't happen um, in the semifinal. Uh, so maybe that's just it. And, and but then again, hey, Clemson's gonna can, can play single coverage too. All right, let's move on to the um, other uh, championship games. Wait, hang uh, on, did you yeah. uh, did you see the New Year's Six Bowls? Yeah, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna okay. so let's do that then. Um, Let's start with, uh, I see the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma, and Florida. Oklahoma does what I think, I thought it was going to be a blowout early. Obviously, Iowa State made it a game late. But they they they, they get their revenge on Iowa State in the Big 12 title game, winning 27-21, came down to the last play. Oklahoma, I think we thought this whole year was uh, the best team in the Big 12, and they do end up winning uh, the Big 12. Yeah, and Spencer Rattler proved that he is the best quarterback yeah. in the Big 12. He's not the third best quarterback. Um, you know, he's on. he actually made our honorable mention All-American team as well as the first team, you know, PFF All-Big 12 quarterback. And he showed that again. I mean, I thought he played extremely well. I mean, I'm just, I'm ecstatic for his future. I think he's going to be a star. I really do. I'm not going to, we're going to, we'll probably bring up the Pac-12 championship a little bit. And I, I'm changing oh, my... Oh, are, are we, are we going to... I mean, we don't have to. We can just touch on. We can just touch on it right now if we want. Uh, Keaton Slowest does not look good at all no. whatsoever. Um, Spencer Radler, I'm changing it. Number one overall pick next year. I went back on my word again. I snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, snap this year with this because Slovis lit up a bad Washington State defense a couple weeks ago. Did not look good against Oregon at all whatsoever. Spencer Radler, he's going to be the number one overall pick next year. 
I'm riding that boat. I think he's going to be a star because he does some incredible, incredible things, you know, off structure, making some of these off platform throws. Yeah, no, I think that it's the off platform stuff that is already at such a high level that if he just figures it out a little bit better from the pocket, we're talking about easily the number one pick next year. I don't think it's even a question. Um, do you think Brock Purdy is going to come back next year? I hope he does. I mean, I, yeah, I think he, he needs it. I mean, I mean, looking at next year's quarterback class, it probably makes sense for him too, just because I, I think at this point that you could probably say that it's a safe bet that the first two quarterbacks off the board are probably going to be Spencer rather Sam Howell. And then after that, it's really completely up in the air. You know, I mean, if he can, he has a chance to reclaim that, but I think this year there's going to be a lot of concern you know, with the way he started the year, you know, the college football playoff committee, you know, they may have forgotten about that Louisiana game. We didn't forget about it. And I'm sure, sure as hell NFL teams did not forget about that game because it was not good. And, you know, he had a lot of those to get out the year. So I'm, I'm expecting him to come back. I'd be very shocked um, if he does, but that's kind of the one uh, spe- speaking of Iowa state and Brock pretty, that's probably the one New Year's six bowl that I'm not too hot about them against the Oregon ducks. Yeah, Man. that's rough. I mean, that Tyler Shuck interception, close-up, that, that was a blown opportunity by USC. Um, the linebacker uh, drawing a blank, but he had not been playing well in his collegiate career up until that point. He had a great play, dropping in his zone, co- covering the uh, vertical seam inside, snagged the ball, poured it down, took advantage of it, took it back into Oregon territory, no points before the end of the half. Missed field goal, missed opportunity. Bad throw by Tyler Shuck. But, you know, I'm, yeah, I think Brock Purdy's kind of starting to click a little bit. Um, but anyway, long story short, this game is probably not going to be. It's probably going to be the worst of the uh, the other three, other four. Oregon, I would say, might be the worst Fiesta Bowl ever. That I'm not even. Really? <laughs> I think it's very possible that it's the worst. I'd have to go back and look, but it's that sounds terrible. Uh, I, I and but I say with, with Purdy in that game. Oregon's pass defense, K, okay, they they were okay against um, against USC on Friday night, but. It's been terrible this whole season. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta show out against this this pass defense. You have to, for for any semblance of of an end to a to a career or the beginning of, a, you know, some sort of momentum going into next season. You have to show that you can play against a really bad, uh, you know, P five uh, secondary. Um, so yeah, we said Oklahoma, Florida in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, quickly, who do you like? Um. I'm sorry, I was reading something. You said the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, Oklahoma, Florida. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I, I think it's going to be yeah, a high-scoring affair. I think uh, I have to go Florida. I, well, hang on. It depends who's playing. That's a big Yeah, thing. that's going to be the thing. So Kyle Pitts is already out. If Kadarius Tony's um, not playing, I'm going Oklahoma. But if he's in, for sure, 100%. I, I like Florida. I mean, even – so, yeah, I, I probably go – if everyone, everyone healthy, I think Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but then who knows – um, I mean, I imagine Trask will play, but if he doesn't play, well, Emory Jones is all right. But like, if he doesn't play, that's a whole thing too. Like you said, Tony doesn't play. That's going to be the whole thing with all these games. Um, even Iowa State, like, you know, you, you know, if, if like Charlie Kohler doesn't play for Iowa State, like, then what? <laughs> I don't even know. He, he's he's um, their ultimate chain mover. He is like the, you know, the, uh, the, sa- the saving grace to Brock Purdy there. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, what else do we have? Peach Bowl, January 1st, Cincy and oh, Georgia. Yes. So we haven't talked about Cincy yet. Um, undefeated. They get it done against Tulsa, a really good Tulsa team that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but they are a really good team. Um, came down to the wire. They get the win there. Unfortunate that they're not in the in the top four. I, I don't know if this team 
comes within 30 points of Alabama, but we'll never know until we play those games. And unfortunately, we haven't in 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 the what a five six years of the of the playoff uh, era, we haven't seen those games. Um, so we'll never right. know. Uh, too bad we're, we both were on the Cincy bandwagon from the start. Great defense. Um, I think they would have. Ma- I think they would have made it closer than Notre Dame. It's possible. I think my my biggest concern with them would have been obviously the pass coverage can play. We know that. I, I'd be concerned if they could if they could stop the Alabama offensive line just from running through them with Najee Harris. So that would be my concern. But again, we'll never know. Exactly. We'll never know. And and it's too bad. So uh, Cincy Georgia, who do you like in this one? Ooh, I, this one I'm really excited about just because we get to see JT Daniels play against a yeah, very good, a good defense. One. I think this we're going to find out more about JT Daniels because after that first game, I, you know, we've seen some from him, but I want to see him go up against a good defense. This is as good as it gets, you know, as far as a group of five goes, one of the top, I would probably say top three defenses out of all the 127 FBS schools playing this year. Um, so I'm excited for this one. I think I'm probably going to have to lean Cincinnati, though. Yeah, I think it's it does come down to how JT Daniels plays. This is a hell of a matchup in yeah. this, you know, between receivers and, and cornerbacks. You know, nickels, uh, slots, slot corners, whatever. Um, you know, with Georgia's receivers and and Cincinnati's secondary, this is this is a great matchup. This honestly is a great matchup. Obviously, it's going to depend on who comes back. Even you know, look at Georgia's defense. Is Monty Rice going to play? Is Richard LeCount going to play? Who is going to play in any of these games uh, is probably the most important thing. Who else? Do we have anything else? Texas A&M versus North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. This is kind of interesting, too. Um, I think North Carolina can absolutely light them up. Um, and, and I think I would probably pick North Carolina right now. I'm happy you said it, not me, because I agree. Not yet, but I'm, I'm going to say that I just rolled with your take that North Carolina is going to light up Texas A&M. They have the potential Yeah, I to. really think so. Yeah, but um, speaking of uh, new, uh, new news just flashing up on the laptop here, Tanner Mordecai entering the transfer portal. That's going to be an interesting uh-huh. one. But also, There's some interesting quarterback transfers. We'll get to that uh, maybe in, uh, in, in February or January, but there is some interesting shuffling around of quarterbacks that's going to happen this offseason. Yeah, also... Two more things on the New Year's Six Bowls. Coastal Carolina, what are we doing? Incredible. I can't believe it. And then, my, and then our boys, the Indiana Hoosiers, just, it's, um, it's a, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Iowa State is going to the Fiesta Bowl with three losses, including a loss to, <laughs> to uh, a, a Sunbelt team, and Coastal Carolina is not. Yeah, wait, yeah, and yeah. Coastal Carolina beat that team. Makes a lot of I, sense. Yeah, I, I just it's incredible. It's crazy how Iowa State has taken away my breath uh, when it comes to the you know um, in relation to how the how the playoff committee views them. I just don't understand why they like them so much. And it's like not I, even anti Iowa State. I, I don't. It's just like they're not. It's not like they're they're this horrible horrible team. But it's like. Why them? Like, why just pick them to be your your team that you like there? Like, I just it yeah. just makes no sense to me. What I think it is, it's because of Brees Hall. It's because of the fact that he's a volume yeah. volume guy. He has 100%. what like what forty or fifty more carries than any other Power Five back. I mean, they just feed him the ball, and you know that's just kind of the old way of thinking in the game of football. And they see a good running back getting fed a lot. That's a good team to them. 
So I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you personally think that after this year, I think, you know, out of all the years that this has gone on and we've had some controversial playoffs in the past, I think this one's probably the most, not because of who's in it, just because of how the rankings leading up to it transpired. Do you, do you actually think like anything after this changes or if we're just going to stick to the way things are, the committee's going to stay the same or, or we're actually going to see some, you know, changes made. I, I mean, I, I'm in the belief, I'm in the group that I would like to see all five contract or power five champions in there in at larges in there, as well as, you know, one of them has to be a group of five team. Uh, I'm in that boat, but I, I'm not sure if that happens. Do you think anything like that will ever happen? Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I hope will happen, and I think it will happen eventually. You'll get all the G, all the P5 conference champions, probably highest ranked G5, and then two at large. I think that's that's probably what we're going to end up uh, end up getting. Um, I think, unfortunately, I mean, it could happen as early as next year, but I think it would have if you know we could, we would have had like um because. <sighs> One of the like a big P five team would have had to have been left out, and I don't think that happened this year. It could have happened, but we didn't get the chaos um, that we thought we might uh, on Championship Saturday, because you know Texas A and M being left out after getting blown up by Alabama, that's not going to move the needle that much. Um, you know Oklahoma with two losses isn't going to move the needle that much. If 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 Clemson had been left out, uh, if Notre Dame maybe had been left out, even though they had only had one loss, like I think that might have. Um, you know, sped up the process a bit. I still think it's going to happen. But I think that, you know, I think really it came down to Florida losing. Uh, if Florida would have won, I think all hell would have broken loose and we could have gotten something as early as next year. We still might. But I think that at least that could that could hold um, um, the, the, the people with money can hold on for a little little longer now that that, that didn't happen. Well, and also, too, I mean, just thinking about it, we've talked before about that that first Oklahoma-Iowa State game and the many dropped chances yeah. from the receivers. If one of those receivers catches a ball, Oklahoma's in the playoff. Yep. But yeah. uh, but I'm like more okay. I mean, I think Cincinnati deserves to be in the playoff being undefeated, but I'd be more yeah. okay with that than, uh, than Iowa State. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're still in the top 10 in the final CFP rankings. It came it in at number no 10. Sense. Ahead of um, the Chanticleers, three losses. <laughs> Man, oh, I love it though. I love it. It's a little chaotic. I- I'm a fan. This is why I do what I do. This is why college football is the best thing on this planet. And with that, uh, we will see you later in the week for um, the weekly podcast. See you guys. Yeah.